Hey Auntie is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge that this is the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Cullen Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and Indigenous mob all over the world. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There you are. I've been expecting you. I've just popped the kettle on. Come on in. Hi, and welcome to Hey Auntie. I'm Chantelle Weatherall, and it's my absolute pleasure to have you join me. Hey sis, come on in, take a seat, and make yourself comfy. With Hey Auntie, we're going to remix the proud tradition of the Black Auntie, and we're going to use it to demonstrate that there's millions of ways to be a magical Black woman. Sounds good? Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Hey Welcome to part two of episode four of Hey Auntie. Hey Auntie, why are we like this? So this episode has been unpacking with the aunties the thorny and perhaps a little bit taboo subject of the infighting and competition that can rear its ugly head between sisters and sort of bullying and uh, meanness and hurtful behavior that can then uh, soon follow. So I'm joined this week by the amazing Leah Avene. Leah is a Tuvaluan mother, musician, broadcaster and educator. She works primarily in the area of relational and collective decolonizing, using storytelling and narrative healing in her writing, public speaking and therapy work as powerful ways to reclaim identity, heal trauma and resist the dominant culture. Leah has so much incredible work experience and creative experience that informs this subject, but I love the way that she so generously and courageously dived in and shared some really touching personal experience that she's had of being really on both sides of this divide. And we both got stuck into really unpacking the reasons why and the systems that are at play. And then we started to uh, sort of talk about ways to sort of defend against ending up practicing these dark arts ourselves while still really giving space and room for feelings to bubble up to the surface, which are pretty natural and uh, need dealing with one way or another. 
so much insight, so many gems, so many takeaways that I have been writing in my journal about since and still am. Um, I think you're really going to love this episode. I know I did. Check it out. I love aunties so much and I feel like I've been waiting to become like a community auntie since I was a child myself and I don't think I'm quite there yet but I'm, I'm very honoured to be on this podcast. I love that. I think that you're there. I've seen you and I have learned so much from you just in like the couple of months that we've known each other and so it's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, I have been a bit, I've got to be honest, I've been a bit kind of reticent to ask people to come on this episode because I know it's a bit of a prickly subject. Uh, what did you think when I asked you to answer this question with me? I love prickly questions. I love discomfort. I love uh, not knowing because if I don't know and I stay with it long enough, usually it means I'm going to figure out something new. So I, I love this question. I think it's a really good question to ask not once but repeatedly and continuously because, you know, we are ever evolving as a community, as individuals. And yeah, like, why are we like this? I'm, I'm curious, you know? Curious is exactly where it starts. And uh, I can think of loads of examples and it goes back to kind of high school even where you are so keen to feel that sense of belonging and all of a sudden it's like the floor gets uh, pulled out from under you and you have an experience where you're like, oh maybe this person is my frenemy. Maybe they're not as down for me as I thought they were. Can you think of any examples of experiences that you have that kind of exemplify that feeling of maybe being a bit undercut by a sister? Yeah, I I can think of a lot of examples of frenemies, for sure. Um, dating way back to primary school. I think that it's it comes from this place of scarcity and of fighting over scraps as women. Um, we don't live in a culture that reveres or holds women up to where I believe, you know, in the way that I believe women should be revered. And so there's this little bit of space for us and I I understand why we kind of start fighting for it very early on. So when I was at primary school, I would say most of my friends were frenemies. Um, I was... That is so real. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> I was, it wasn't just me then. No, no. I mean, I grew up in a little coastal town um, that was entirely white apart from my dad, my brother, my sister and myself. And I just had every reason under the sun to be to not belong. And because of that, I was so desperate to belong that I clung to whatever I could that felt even a little bit like belonging, um, even when that meant being really, really terribly bullied by um, a group of girls. And I feel like, yeah, just uh, it's difficult to even pinpoint it a lot of the time it's a vibe or a sideways look or a or the tone in a voice or a raised eyebrow and it can just make you feel so uncomfortable and unseen and unwelcome and we women folk have these kind of 
sort of powers of, you know, non-verbal communication that when used for evil um, really hit and cut deep. So those punches land, don't they? Oh, yeah. Just the raised eyebrow. Yeah. When you've come out of the changing room or when you've told a vulnerable and funny story. Well, you think it's funny anyway. And you don't get the reception that you're hoping for. And it just deflates you. I, I really wanted to talk about this in particular on Hey Auntie because I do think that it's something you talked about scarcity. And I think as women of colour, we experience scarcity um, or can experience scarcity quite significantly. And it's something insecure demonstrated really well with Molly's workplace where she yep. had the other sister at work and she was like, oh, cool, you know. I've done the nod, we're going to be sisters, and she tried to heads her up. And then she had that experience of, oh, wow, okay, you're not down for this sisterhood vibe. And that's someone she just knew. And I can think of examples where growing up in a really, really white place, when I made a black friend, it was really significant for me. And when I found out, I'm the only one who thinks we're friends, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that can oh, be ouch. yeah that can be really gutting yeah it'd be really interesting to understand either you know when you're in primary school you don't have many resources but later in life have you noticed the scarcity acting out in uh circles of women of color sometimes Definitely. I went to a high school where there were probably out of a thousand, there may have been three or four um, women of color. It was a girl's school. And one of my very close family friends, uh, who is E. Kiribas, um, she was there as well. So we were family friends outside of school, but I recall really turning away from her in public places in the school. And it was, yeah, it was code switching, it was survival, but my need to not be associated closely with her was so real because, you know, I had internalised the um, shame and lack of um, acceptance or respect for people like me, for women of colour, for people of colour, and I did not want to be associated with another person of colour and certainly not a woman of colour. And I remember, yeah, I mean, it's only as an adult that I can look back and think about those reasons. I just remember at the time I was basically an asshole. Um, but understanding it, yeah, understanding it contextually, um, you know, within a system, within a culture. Yeah. Of course we turn away from others who are like us when we've rejected that part of ourselves or pushed it down so far, you know, and given it no life or love. I love that example and I really think it is about uh, rejecting that part of yourself and I think it's also if I think of times when I have kind of not wanted to be lumped in with the other black girls it's also about always feeling like there was only so much space for blackness in whatever context I was in and that if I was in a group we'd take up we'd we'd overfill the limited space that there was for us. Absolutely. I I think I keep, oh, the skills that I have to keep myself small are so well, um, so finely honed. They're they're very, very good skills. And so 
um, I still am confronted when women of colour around me are unapologetic in their presence and their life and their uh, joy and their juiciness. You know, I still catch myself pulling back from that because I think deep down there's, I'm a bit afraid. I'm like, shh, keep it, you know, you've got to keep us safe. You are revealing (laughs) this secret of our lushness. Like why would you put that out there? It is not safe. And then I have to remind myself, I'm a grown woman. It is safe. I am that person. Sometimes I let myself be big sometimes. And, but it's a, it's a, process I think of accepting and including that in my life and there are certainly spaces where it's not welcome and yeah I it's it's a real shame because whenever I notice myself doing it whenever I notice myself judging a sister for being themselves you know it stabs at me as well like it's like oh I forgot to take care of that part of myself oh I betrayed a sister that's a yucky thing um and I think that there is I think it's really important to just remind myself that, yeah, I live in a culture that has, you know, created this and conditioned me this way and I have to be really gentle with myself in my unravelling, you know. I love your self-reflection. I love that. And I also love that really what I'm hearing is that the way to not find yourself doing the very same is to kind of love that part of yourself out of that and understand that probably it wasn't a whole bunch of conscious choices that you made that found you getting jealous and maybe snappy or or you know being a bit shady or recoiling from someone when you should extend yourself and open yourself to them it's like we all probably are vulnerable to finding ourselves doing that sometimes because it's conditioning right yeah Absolutely. I think um, in Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, there is a line where she says, when you soak a child in shame, and that imagery feels so very real to me. And I feel like I grew up in an environment where I was soaked in shame about so many aspects of myself, my queer self, my feminine self, my, um, you know, brown self, my creative self. You know, there are just so many ways that I've turned away and abandoned these parts of myself. And I think that, you know, a mentor of mine who I really admire, said to me recently, I was raging about a person. Um, and he said, Leah, you cannot destroy a person because they were born into a system that has damaged them to the point where they would treat you the way they did. Yo, wow. And that, is, <laughs> that is some powerful wisdom and a challenge to you it is. to rise to that because God, it still hurts, right? Oh, it hurts. It hurts. And I think that, I mean, he followed that up with saying the burden of this work of, of, you know, opening and elevating will always fall on women. And now that is some truth there. Who's going to, who's going to lead the way? Mm. The the people that built the system that we live in are not going to lead us out of it. The people in the margins when we centralize their experiences. I mean, 
I have learned more about femininity from trans women. I have learned more about my brown skin from very, very black women. I've learned more about my curvy body from very radically fat women. Like every single time we accept and give voice to those on the margins, it liberates everybody else. And so I think that, yes, the burden of, you know, this revolution, of this opening, of this elevation is going to fall a lot on women. And so I think about that a lot and that helps me, um, yeah, be strong and and have that um, willingness to be gracious in forgiving myself and others. I really love the thought that perhaps, you know, if you find yourself on the receiving end of a sister um, acting in a way that is hurtful, and I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt because I know that, those have been some of the cruelest cuts for me. Maybe you do need to reflect on the burden that she's under and the fact that maybe she just did not have the resources at that time to elevate herself and deal with it in this positive way that you're you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> this is probably 10 solid years, you know, this this um this wisdom, I suppose, is from 10 solid years on, of, of working on myself and working in spaces, you know, um, where it's really important to have this attitude. So it's a long, it's a process. I really hear that. And I know that your professional work um, definitely is going to inform that as well. Do you still nonetheless ever find yourself, you know, that the green monster inside, the, the jealousy is building? And what do you say to yourself in those times when perhaps you're like, who, who the heck does this one think she is? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have two daughters, you know, the three of us are constantly gnashing our teeth and side eyeing each other. <laughs> and, you know, we come out with the funniest burns, you know, I, I, we, the way I think about it is they are sharpening their claws on me for oh, wow. the world, you know, yeah. and I, I appreciate that. You've got to have claws, you know, um, it still cuts pretty deep sometimes. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel a sense of, yeah, jealousy or like I'm not getting enough or I want that thing sometimes. But what I've noticed is the closer I stay to my purpose, the less I'm impacted by what's happening for other people. And the closer I stay to my purpose, the happier I am for other people who are fulfilling theirs. That is so true. I had a moment of reflection the other day where something had gone wrong and I was starting to feel really resentful towards a certain person about it. And then I was like, yo, what do you know about yourself for sure, Chantal? And I, I reflected that what I know about myself for sure is that when I am really vibrating highly, I never think about anybody else's actions. I only think about my own actions. And when I'm in blame mode, that means that I've strayed away from my path. I really had to check myself because I was really ready to just take all my burdens off for what had gone wrong and put them on that person's doorstep. So, yeah, I I feel like this conversation is like a how-to on things that we have learned from being the shady sister, actually, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we need to give oxygen for the feelings. 
there are two things that I think about a lot. One is that pain travels through families until someone's willing to feel it. So, I... yeah, <laughs> I, um, I think about that a lot. So in my bones, I am carrying the histories of women who have lived through much, much more brutal lives than my own. I carry that with me. And do you think that's why sometimes I have seen homegirls of mine when we have been together and they've been cruel, I've seen a momentary look of surprise on their own face. Yeah. Where they've surprised themselves with it. Oh, okay. That leads me beautifully into my next thing that I think about, which my little bro said to me the other day, I was actually having a moment of jealousy and sort of distress, um, I'm polyamorous. It comes up a lot in relationships. And he said, just breathe into it. It's there for a reason. It shows you what you value, the jealousy. Wow. And then he said, every time you say no to a feeling, it goes down to the basement and starts lifting weights. Oh, my God. Your brother is a philosopher. <laughs> he's extraordinary. He's a playwright. He's, uh, I can't even let's – not, let's not waylay our conversation with how much I love my brother. But <laughs> – yeah, I. so what you were mentioning about that look of surprise of when you kind of like snap back so nastily, yeah. I see it in my daughters as well. It's just all those feelings you've sent down that have gotten jacked and they come up punching. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like um, instead of sending them down to the basement, I feel like it's okay to breathe and hold them and be like, hey, thanks for showing me this thing and, you know, you can leave me now. And when you're on the receiving end of somebody who is having one of those moments where they've snapped, um, how do you extricate yourself in a way that is both honouring of your own feelings and boundaries, but also uh, reflecting all of this wisdom that you have about the fact that probably that person is surprising themselves or disappointing themselves in that conversation too? I Now that I am a little bit older... I tend to not say things. Yo, and I that's tend... one of the... <laughs> yeah. Woo, I, I wrote that in my journal the other day. I was like, girl, the more you keep your mouth yeah. shut, the wiser you become. And, and not shut like I don't want to repress myself, but nah. also the way I think about it is when I feel that big surge of like a feeling that I'm not loving, I send myself to time out, you know, just go and, go and have a little breather in the corner, yeah. think on things you know, consider what I really want to say and then come back. And I know that that's really useful for not damaging my relationships, but ultimately I feel like it's really important for not damaging myself. 100%, 100%, because I know that 25-year-old me thought that strength in these situations, because it hurts, you know, we're talking about a situation where most of us as women of colour growing up in these majority white cultures have felt isolated and so when you think you find sisterhood and then you feel hurt it really presses a, a button and I know that I used to really meet people where they were at in their worst moment of their week of their year of their day and I'd just jump off the diving board of whatever wicked mood I was in and just be like yeah I'm coming down there with you and then just feel horrible horrible afterwards yeah, and you can't take that stuff back. You can't take it back, yeah. You can't take it back. And it's not actually protecting you. It's not it's not. You think you think I've got to I've got to stand up for myself, but it's not. 
protecting you. No, I think there's a there's a real strength of um, just quietly thinking on it and walking away with the least amount of violence as possible. But I did want to say as well um, something about women of colour and people of colour more broadly um, cutting each other down and participating in really violent ways of being around each other. It speaks to a system that is so ingenious that the oppressors no longer need to oppress us directly because we are so brutally broken as communities that we take care of the killing of each other at its worst and of the tearing down of each other, like, you know. Just policing each other. The amount of things I see online or actually just bringing it back to my own lived experience, like I remember, like I grew up in a, English country country village. So when I went to uni, I it was the first time I was surrounded by a vibrant community of black women in London. But I got to tell you, the first year was rough because my hair game was not on the level which it needed to be. Um, those edges were not laid. I didn't know what it meant to lay an edge, unless it was like a the edge of a edge of a lawn, perhaps. So I got ripped to shreds and while I can laugh about it now I see it being perpetrated against women I see it because we're we're so witty as well and we're quick with these little jibes but it is always really interesting to me how they are always addressed at things that speak directly to our ethnicity in one way or another yeah and it it can go both ways it can be you're too white or you're being too black so you've got to walk that line. And if you are worrying about people policing how black or white you are being or anything else for that matter, you're going to spend an enormous amount of energy worrying about where you put your next step. And I think that culture and personality, it's a spectrum and it's okay to move in between and have do your hair like this and speak like this. And if you're a woman of color, you've been code switching since you've been talking and or you know living, pretty much. Um, and I think it's okay for us to be where we need to be. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That question of reserving and conserving your energy rather than having. Uh, the feeling that you're being constantly police and having to respond to that by being constantly vigilant. For me, the opposite of this feeling of being undercut is the beautiful feeling that I get from being with my sisters of being energised. It actually makes me sometimes reflect on the rest of my day and go, wow, I've been working all day, even when I'm off work, just to move around this space and adjust myself And when I'm with my sisters, I take that load off. And when I leave, I feel energized. They always say that, don't they? Like, think about how you feel when you leave a conversation with someone. What's the the opposite of this undercutting feeling for you? Well, I work in culturally responsive practice. And in that space, we talk about deficit narratives and strength-based narratives. So if we are always responding to I'm not too loud, I'm not too black, I'm not too big, I'm not too smart. We're always responding from a place of deficit. And what we don't get to do is say, I am magnificent, I am strong, I am living, I carry all of my ancestors with me, I 
speak different languages. I move my body. I'm sensual. I'm incredible. You know, that is the opposite of this shit. So when we can sit, <laughs> yeah. when we can sit with each other and celebrate each other's magnificence, that is where we get the strength to stop resisting the system by talking by punching from the corner and we start just leading it into a different place. Like that is the medicine that we need. Thanks again to my amazing guest and thank you for listening. So you've heard what the aunties have to say. What do you think? Hey auntie pod at gmail.com Facebook or Instagram. That's auntie A-U-N-T-Y. Don't forget to like and subscribe and join us in a week for the next show.